on a rock. So God, with that metaphor, Lord, I just pray that we'll build our life on your words and your words alone. God, as we come through this time, Lord, as we listen to your word, I just pray that you'll give us a heart to hear and the will to surrender. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and I will get my microphone on. I think it is on. Good morning. It is great to see you guys today. You notice we have a little contraption here. We, uh, we've had some major technology problems today, and we, if you know people who watch online, we were having problems getting online earlier, but we were able to depot to get it cast over there correctly. But I cannot move. I've got to stay like right here, so I may get antsy during the sermon, but I have to stay here because is that pointed the way it's supposed to be, Merrick, right now? Is that good, Kara? Okay. You're going to have a great morning when you have a lot of problems. You ever notice that? And then I got ready to get out of my, my traditional costume, my suit, to get on my contemporary costume, and I left my pants at home. So I do have pants on if you're wondering, but my suit pants, thank goodness, they match the, uh, my shirt. Timeout. You know what a timeout is, don't you? In sports, your team can call a timeout, right? The other team can call a timeout. The referee, the umpire, can call a timeout. If there's a problem or to put you out of the game or if there's an injury, sometimes we put our kids in timeout. How many of you sitting in front of me have ever been in timeout? Every one of you, raise your hands or you're going to be put in timeout for line when you get home. You know you have. We have at our house a timeout chair for our little Bailey. Doesn't that look great? Riley, raise your hand. Riley is Bailey's sister. Right? Raise it high, Bailey. People can't. We had to put Bailey and uh, Riley in that chair four times yesterday, too. So, so it is. A, I put Cindy in there once. It's a great place to to put people in a timeout chair. Well, we're in Matthew 14. If you have your Bible, if you don't, we're going to uh, have scriptures on the screen so you can see it. We're starting a sermon series titled "Walking on Water." And guess what Jesus does in this series? He starts fire. No, he walks on water. And he's going to get Peter to join him later on. But we're laying the foundation this week, and we're going to be laying the foundation the next few weeks. A very important foundation. And, and I want to begin with this because this is what you see. This is a pattern of Jesus' life, and it needs to be for yours and mine. We need regular timeouts. We need regular times where we pull apart from the world and from, uh, even from other people. In verse 22 and 23 is the the beginning place of this story of Jesus walking on water and where we're going to major this morning, it says this, immediately after this, after this, Jesus had just fed 5,000. Now, it says 5,000 men, so there was probably as many women and children. So really, it's the feeding of 15,000 more than it is feeding the 5,000. He insisted that his disciples get in the boat, cross the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills to tweet to flip through his email, to Snapchat some of the other disciples, and to sleep. Now, that's not what it says. He went to himself by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. It's, it's interesting in verse 22, it says immediately after this, after this great miracle, Jesus, I mean, almost instantaneously, as soon as it was over, as soon as they had got everything picked up and 
probably giving back out to people. Jesus made his guys, we'll see more in a moment why he was so pressing. He made his guys get in a boat and leave for the other side of the lake. And he sent the other folks home, made them go home. And it says in verse 22, he insisted. That's a, a forceful verb out of necessity, an authoritative command. They didn't vote on this. They didn't refer to the bylaws. They didn't form a committee. Jesus said, get in the boat, guys, right now and go to the other side of the lake. Now, a, a teacher then, like a professor today at, at Tech or Grambling, would have the authority to end the class early or, you know, whenever they wanted to. So Jesus could do what he wanted to. It just seems kind of strange that Jesus was so insistent there. Why did, did he want to swim? I mean, they are at the Sea of Galilee. He could have gone and swam and had a little beach time by himself. Or, you know, what, 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 was the, what was the deal? Why did Jesus, was he sick? You know, just he ate too much of the bread and the fish. There was so much of it. Why did Jesus insist on this? Well, in verse 23, after sending the other people home, he went to the hills by himself to pray. Some translations, I like the way they put it. It says that he got apart, that, that he separated himself. Listen, folks, separated himself from everybody else. He got alone. He got in private. And then it says one of the things he does is that he prayed. We have a map, and we'll, we'll show you in the days ahead some, some the maps that correspond with this, but they're probably, probably up near Capernaum, somewhere up in there. And there's actually a cave up in the hills near this region that they say that that may have been the cave where Jesus went. And pray, we, we have no idea if that's correct or not, if, if it's that area. But I think it's so amazing, and we're going to see a pattern in Jesus' life that Jesus Christ, now he's 100% man and 100% God. Never forget that. We forget the humanity part of it. Jesus was God, absolutely is God. But when he was on earth, if you pinched him, it hurt. Jesus was 100% man. And as a human, Jesus had to get apart. He had to get by himself. He had to get rested up. He had to get solitude. He had to get some me time. Uh, and it was very important for him. Listen. Expert after expert after expert would tell you this. We just don't listen to it. But they would tell you, you have got to build in time alone for your life. You need, you need timeouts every single day of your life. The younger you can get this, the better it will be. You need time every day. If you're a Christian, we'll emphasize that too. You need time with you and God every single day. You're a new Christian. That may be 10 or 15 minutes. Some of you have been Christian for 20, 30, 40 years. You need more time with God. But experts would say every day, you need just some time just for you, some time out. You need sleep. You need good sleep regularly. You need a time out once a week. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of what God said in Genesis chapter 1 when it says after he created everything, what did he do? He got Cokes and Little Debbies and gave them out to everybody. Maybe, but they left that out of the Bible. He rested. He rested, not because he needed rest, but to set an example for us. In China several years ago, a zoo found out that their monkeys were stressed. How do you determine whether monkeys are stressed? Are they throwing bananas? I mean, what do you do? How, what's the test for a stress for monkeys? But they spent thousands and thousands of dollars trying to figure out what to do when they could have just read the Bible. You know what they decided? The monkeys need one day of rest. They, the people cannot see the monkeys at this zoo in China seven days a week because one day the monkeys need 
monkey time away from humans. Listen, God says you need God time. You need time once a week that you set aside for rest, for fun, and for God. You need that. Our world, we're missing this completely. I want to share with you a couple of things from some articles I've seen recently. One is about Americans and how we rest. One in seven adults, that's about 14% of American adults, set aside a day of the week for rest. And listen to this. On that one day, what do you think they do? They work. <laughs> they work on the day they set aside for rest. Only one in five of that small group says they actually don't do any work on that one day a week. Fewer Americans commit to daily time alone, about 16%. I think this number's high. 21% of Americans say they spend time daily alone with God to be recharged. I, I think that's high. I don't think it's that, that high. And 12%, only 12% of Americans say they intentionally set aside time each day that they don't have electronic devices around them. Here's another article by a neuroscientist, brain scientist. And he, I love this. You can use this this week. He uses the term info-obesity. You know what obesity is? You know what obesity is? Yes, you do. Thank you. I have some people raising their hand. I appreciate that. So you call someone obese, you may get hit in the mouth. But if you tell them, I think you're info-obese, that would be funny. They probably wouldn't get it. But this brain scientist says what he sees happening is that we are using we're tweeting, we're on our iPads, we're on our phones, we're on our laptops so much that it's overloading the rational thinking part of our brain, and it's actually activating that adrenaline, that fight-and-flight mode in us. It's messing us up. Now, these are several years old, so this has gotten worse. It's not got better. Listen to these statistics. Every single minute, every single minute, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 72 hours of video is posted every minute. 347 blog posts, 700,000 Facebook entries, 30,000 tweets, 2 million emails, and 12 million text messages. We are info-obese, and it overloads us. And what God says, and it's so cool, and what the example of Jesus, and listen, this is a great thought too. Jesus is just not perfect in everything that he said. Jesus was perfect in everything he did. Is that not awesome? Every example Jesus set was perfect too. And Jesus Christ, a pattern of his life was to say, I've got to get alone for me. I've got to get alone to rest. I need sleep too. I need solitude. I need quiet. Man, I want to tell you something. You and I need this too. But Jesus didn't just go up there to hum and look at the stars. He may have done that. But it says in verse 23 that he went up there to pray. Now, if you're taking notes, this is such a cool concept. The, the New Testament's written in Greek. Several Greek words for our one English word, prayer. The word here used for prayer is the word we would say for your quiet time. It's an all-encompassing word of praising God, of forgiving others, confessing your sins, thanksgiving, praying for yourself, praying for other people, listening to God. So you know what Jesus did? Listen, this is so cool. Jesus went and had his devotional, his quiet time on the mountain. Isn't that wonderful? And see, you and I don't have time for it some days. What a joke. Well, you don't know how busy I am. I don't care how busy you or I are. We don't have more demands on our life than Jesus. We don't. And if Jesus Christ needed to set aside time 
to rest, recoup, regroup, and hear from God, how much more do you and I need to do that? Amen? Man, that's powerful. We, that is so, so important. They said in Jesus' day, the devout Jew, the mature devout Jew, tried to commit two hours a day to prayer. Now, if you're, again, you're a young Christian, if you're doing 10 or 15 minutes, that's awesome. You say, I don't know how to pray, meet me after church. We'll give you some information that can help you this afternoon learn how to pray. Some of you have been Christians 20, 30, 40 years. Let me ask you a question. I think if you've been a Christian 20 years, how can you not pray an hour a day? How can you not work through everything you need to? How can you not praise God, confess sins, thank God, pray for other people, listen to God in, in under an hour or so a day? How much time are you given to hear from God? How much time are you devoting in your life for your solitude and your development? Psalms 46.10. Man, listen to this great verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. We're not still enough to hear God, are we? I think that's part of our problem. I read an article this week, and it really, boy, it kind of gets you around the throat. This little boy goes to his dad. He'd been trying to get his dad's attention all night. And finally, he goes to his dad, and he grabs him. And dad had a little coat on, grabs him by his coat, and says, Daddy, quit Googling and listen to me. I wonder if your kids are saying that. Here's a thought. I wonder if God's saying that to you. I wish they'd put their phone down and let me talk to them for a minute. See, timeouts are so important to, man, to refresh you, to re-energize you, and for you and I to hear from God. I want to give you three scenarios where we see in this chapter, these chapters here, where timeouts were so crucial to Jesus, and they're so crucial to you and me. Here's the first thing. Man, timeouts are key during and after the tough times of life. These timeouts, these time for rest, reflection, for God, for you and God, to hear from God, to get your act together, they are so crucial when things are tough. I, I want you to hear this because this is important too. You are either in the middle of a tough time right now or you're headed for a tough time. Did you know that? Isn't that a terrible thing for a preacher to say? Now I'll say something else good. Have some ice cream and you're going to heaven when you die if you're a Christian. Isn't that great? That's good. And there won't be any calories in heaven. Isn't that? That's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> Hell, they're eating broccoli. We're eating Little Debbie's and Bluebell with no calories in heaven. And I have no idea where I am in my sermon now. I just <laughs> completely. <laughs> you, you are, listen, you, you're either in a bad spot right now or you're headed for one. It's just life if you live long enough. Or, or, or you're coming out of one or you're going to be in one and you're going to come out of one. So all of this is important. We're not going to read it, but if we were to go back to chapter 14, we're in chapter 14, verse 1 through 12, here's what happened. Jesus, one of his best friends, his cousin, the guy that Jesus said was the greatest person that ever lived, John the Baptist, is beheaded. I mean, he's brutally murdered. And after he's killed, his disciples bury him, and they go to Jesus to tell Jesus. And look what it says in verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to, in a remote area to be alone. Man, how profound is that? Man, when Jesus' when Jesus's heart got broken, he didn't get mad. He didn't kick the boat. He didn't start cussing. He didn't write down his I'll get them list. You know what he did? He said, guys, i got to go be alone. And he went and he grieved and he regrouped 
And I'm, he prayed, and he asked God for strength, the Father for strength, and he heard a word from God. Man, I, I want to tell you this morning, you who are in the hard spot or when you get in it, you need God then more than any other time in your life, and you're going to miss him if you don't have time for him. You need to regroup. You need to re-get your, gain your balance. You need to work through those issues. University of Wisconsin at Madison had a study that, that's so profound. They said when people have negative and harmful emotions, anger, bitter, meanness, whatever it is, unforgiving, whatever it is, jealousy, whatever, that prayer is an antidote for negative and harmful emotions. Wow. If you're a Christian, you know that's true if you've practiced it. It will amaze you what would happen during your hard times, during your bitter times. If you made sure you got alone with God, you rested, you recouped, you grieved, you asked God to help you forgive those people, you confessed your own sins, you got a fresh word from God, you thanked God for everything you could to thank Him for, and that that was the pattern and the habit of your life, you would be amazed how that would aid in your healing. That's exactly what Jesus did. It amazed you what would happen if you came to church every time that you started hurting or you were going through bad times, and you continued to when things got good again. Years ago in a church prayer meeting, in a Baptist prayer meeting, we talk more than we pray, if you've ever been in one of those. But we were discussing how do you handle tragedy? How do you prepare yourself for something terrible happen, happening? And the consensus was you can't, that, that when something really bad happens, it just happens, and then you've got to grab a hold to God's hand and deal with it. I, I, I agree with that, and I disagree with it. The certain things could happen that are going to knock every one of us to the ground. But it's just like physical conditioning. If you are regularly getting along with God, you're resting, you're in good emotional and spiritual and psychological shape, things can come and knock you off your feet. But listen, you're going to be better prepared to handle those than you would have in any other way. You've got a choice in this. This is how Jesus handled his grief and his issues. Man, he got apart to get with God. Vance Havner was a preacher years ago, and he said something that's so wonderful. He said, some of us better come apart before we fall apart. I think maybe that's what Jesus was trying to show us. Time, time outs are absolutely crucial during the tough times and as you come out of those times. Here's another thought that's kind of weird, but it's very true. Timeouts are key during the easy times and after the victories. They're, they're, they're key after the home runs. They're, they're key after you win the ball games. We miss this. We just saw in verse 22 and 23, we'll go back to that in a second, where Jesus gets along with God. What preceded this? What preceded this is there was about 15,000 people, and they have a couple of fish or a couple of burgers or fries or whatever. They have some waffle fries from Chick-fil-A. And, and Jesus takes it, and he feeds thousands and thousands of people. To, to, can you imagine if we had 15,000 people show up here and we had one pizza and we prayed and everybody left full and we had 15 pizzas left over? How many of you would be dancing in the church house? 
I'd lead the way and I can't dance, but man, I'd be dancing. That would be so That's what happened. Jesus should have, and Jesus wasn't going to break out the champagne and cigar, broke out the Coke and the little Debbie's right here. Amen? Let's celebrate. But here's what Jesus did. Look in verse 22. Immediately, right then, he insisted. He didn't suggest it. He said, get in the boat and leave. And then he went along and he prayed. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and John. In John 6, verse 15, part of the story lets us know why Jesus was so strong in this. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Here's, here's what happened. The people saw what Jesus did, and they knew only God can do that. And like, these are Jewish people, and they're, want, they're looking for a political leader, a military leader. This is the guy. They're ready to make Jesus their king and to charge Rome and take them over. And so, you know, folks, the Bible says someday Jesus is coming back as the ruling king. Did you know that? But first he had to die as a suffering servant. And it wasn't time for Jesus to be made king. And he knew as much as he loved his disciples, these guys are goofy. And they're going to go along with the crowd. So he makes them get out of there and he makes the crowd leave because Jesus knew the time wasn't right for total celebration. So he goes and he gets alone and he recalibrates, he rests, he prays, he stays humble, and he stays on mission. Guys and gals, when you're winning and when things are easy is when you have a tendency to let your guard down. And when you let your guard down, you're making yourself very vulnerable for Satan. Satan is so subtle and he's so good. Listen, he is a horrible being, but he's a great devil. <laughs> Think about that. And he knows exactly how and where to hit you. And when, you are, when you're at peace and at ease is when you let your guard down. When you neglect to spend time with God. When you, it's not as important to go to church when everything's going great. And you don't, your, your life's not falling apart. It's not as important to pray and to, you feel good. Why should you get some solitude? Why should you put your phone up to read your Bible? I mean, why should you get apart? Because everything's great. And the devil knows that. And that is when he will sneak in there and cut your heart out if you're not careful. John Madden, John Madden was a great football coach before he was a great video game guy. John Madden, in one of his books, says this. It's very interesting. He says, I was harder on my teams during winning streaks than losing streaks. I thought it was peculiar, but here's what he said. He said, when my team is losing, everybody is mad at them. Their kids don't like them. Their wives don't like them. The press doesn't like them. People around town don't like them. And then they start winning, and everybody thinks they're wonderful, and everybody thinks they're great, and everybody sings their praises. And he says, it's my job to help them celebrate the victories, but to keep them on task, to keep them humble, and to keep them where they need to be. See, I, that's very important for us. Man, nothing will keep you grounded like being in church on Sunday, like getting alone every day to read your Bible, to pray, confess your sins, ask God to help you forgive those you need to forgive, listen to God, what God has to say. Nothing will keep you in a better spot emotionally and spiritually than doing that. You become an easy target. When things are easy, don't let that happen to you. Continue to build these things in your life. And here's the a, here's a third thing this morning. Timeouts are the key. They're the key to getting ready for that next big event or problem. 
In other words, these timeouts are not only key to making it during the tough and the bad times. They're not only the key to keeping you on mission and humble during the good times. They're the key to getting you spiritually and emotionally built up for the next things that are coming. What was coming for Jesus? He spent this time. We don't know how long it was in prayer. We know he went up there. It was still daylight. When he, it says he went walking out on the water, it was the fourth watch of the night. Romans divided the night into four watches, 6 to 9 p.m., 9 to midnight, midnight to 3 a.m., and 3 a.m. to 6. So Jesus had been up there praying for hours, resting for hours, praying. Then he comes walking on the water. I think the, the time apart got him ready to walk on the water. But look what happens immediately after this. Verse 34, after they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus and the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, soon people were bringing all the sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch of the, just the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Man, this is wonderful. It's exhausting. I mean, he's, again, he's surrounded by people. He's healing people. It's demanding. What got him ready for this next thing? It was the rest, the recoup, and the time with God. But the good stuff is followed by some yucky stuff. Look in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Right then, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, they arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our tradition? For they ignore the tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Ugh, doesn't that make you want to vomit? Uh, Jesus just fed thousands of people. He just walked on water. He just healed multitudes of people. And these goofy religious people are mad because they're not washing their hands properly. That's disgusting. And Jesus is going to have to deal with all that. And he deals with it. And he deals with it without sinning. And he deals with it victoriously. And he deals with it in a right, in a positive, in a stern way. You know why? Because he walked with God. And he had that relationship, and emotionally and psychologically, he was who he needed to be. Many years ago, I was sitting in my office one Thursday. I don't think I was being cocky. I think I was just reflecting. And I said to myself, bad thing. I said, man, things have been so peaceful and easy around here lately. I got a phone call that afternoon. Hey, can I see you next week? Yeah, sure, it'd be great. Everything okay? Everything's great. Everything wasn't great. And six weeks after that, it was like, whoosh. here's what I'm going to tell you. God wants to use some of you to do some great big things. He wants to use me and you for those. Isn't that exciting? Here's something scary. If you don't walk with God, if you're not in a good place psychologically and emotionally, even physically, those big things are going to come and you and I aren't going to be ready for them. Somebody's going to need us. They're going to need our wisdom and our advice and our help and our love. We're not going to have anything to give. Here's a, another bad scenario. Something bad's going to happen. And you're going to be faced with junk. And you're not going to be ready emotionally, spiritually, psychologically to deal with it because you and I have not been who we need to be. You see, this idea of Time alone for solitude, rest, reflection, and for God is not just a good thought. And this is the, the principles of Jesus' life. 
Dr. Cal Newport is a professor at Georgetown University in Washington. And he wrote a book called Deep Work. And the book is a deep book. And it's not an easy read, but it's a good read. And in that book, he, he cites years of research. Listen to what he said. He said, years of research has proven that when you regularly, he's talking about daily, when you rest your brain, when you rest your mind, when you rest your spirit, when you regroup and recoup, you do this regularly, that allows you the next day to work deeper with better quality and to be more profound in what you do. What he's saying is exactly what Jesus showed us. You live the best life and the most effective life when you are consistently getting alone for yourself and for God. That's what prepares you in every way for the things that are coming. Charles Stanley is the pastor at First Baptist Atlanta. He went there as the pastor in 1870. He's been there a while. He's a great preacher, and he's written a lot of great books. And listen to this story, because some of us, this may be in our future. Preachers, preachers are either one of two things normally. They're either lazy or they're workaholics. And, and, and I think our staff were really blessed because I think, I think everyone's lazy. No, I'm teasing. I, <laughs> I think most of us fall under that work too hard, but that can be sinful too. Charles Stanley was a typical workaholic, and, and he, you know, he's a pastor. He couldn't take any time off. He was working for God, and, and so he was always seven days a week, never, never time out, time, never time away. No, he's spending time with God, but wasn't resting, wasn't recouping, and he has an emotional, physical breakdown. And he ends up, the doctor tells him, I'm putting you in the hospital for two weeks. He says he's laying in the hospital bed, and he's saying to God, this is, though I can hear some of you saying this, I can hear me saying this, I've got so much to do, why are you wasting my time by putting me in this hospital? And God whispered in his ear and said, I put you in this hospital. Charles Stanley said he told his wife, bring me my Bible and a legal pad and about four pens. <laughs> he said, and I laid back and I said, God, speak, I'm ready to hear. He said, I learned a lesson in my lifetime. You see... You can choose to take timeouts, or at some point, God or somebody else may choose it for you. But, man, we're talking about life. We're talking about joy. We're talking about effectiveness. When you will take care of you in the right sense, not a selfish sense, prioritize your health emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, 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 it will amaze you how God will use you, protect you, and get you ready for the next battles. Scary thing is the choice is ours, at least right now. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I pray that you will do whatever God is telling you you need to do to get right or to correct or where you need to repent. If you're not a Christian, but you're ready today to give your life to Christ, pray with me. Sincerely just say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner, and I want to repent of my sin. Jesus, I believe you're God's son, that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart, and I surrender my life to you. 
let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment, and not, not just to sing or to close out our service, but to give you a chance to respond to God. Maybe you just asked Jesus to come into your life, or you're ready to do that. You come this morning. You say, well, I don't want to walk in front of everybody. Meet me after church right over here. But don't leave the building. If you're watching online, don't, don't get offline until you've crossed that line with Jesus. Do it today. Maybe you're ready to join our church. We would love for you to. You can come and do that when you, we stand, or you can do that after church. You need a church family. We'd love to be that. You're a Christian today. Some of you are doing great with this. Keep it up because you can slip easy here. Others of us, maybe we need to repent today. Where we're standing or maybe at the altar praying with God or